Hello, and welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of liberal feminists. My name is Kelsey Harkness. I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal, and today I'm joined by a very special guest host, Ginny Montalbano, my colleague over at the Heritage Foundation. Ginny, I would say you probably yourself are a problematic woman, so thank you so much for joining. Definitely. Thanks for having me on, Kelsey. Well, on today's episode, we're going to kick it off with our first segment called That Happened. This is a segment where we talk about some of the more ridiculous and hypocritical news stories of the week. There is never a shortage of those to choose from. So I am starting with uh, perhaps my favorite pop star, uh, and that is Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift this week is getting shamed for having get this, a good year in 2017. So the controversy started when Taylor Swift posted a message on Instagram thanking her fans for the birthday wishes and for her very successful year. So this is what the Instagram post that apparently was so controversial said. I love you guys so much. I couldn't have asked for a better year. All thanks to you. Thanks for all the birthday wishes. Can't wait to see what 28 will be like. See you on tour. So what happened is New York Magazine took this post and somehow decided to gratitude shame her for it. Uh, They tweeted, congrats to the now 28-year-old Taylor Swift for being the only person who seemed to enjoy 2017. Along with this tweet, they posted an article that listed a bunch of the really terrible and awful things that happened this year. These things are not just making fun of President Trump, which you would expect them to do. But in this article, they also listed things like the Las Vegas shooting that killed 58 people and injured uh, 489, which was uh, the deadliest shooting, uh, mass shooting, I believe, that we've had in uh, American history. Uh, The hurricanes that devastated parts of Texas and Florida, left much of Puerto Rico uh, without power for months. Some people in Puerto Rico still don't have power. And I just thought this this was really taking politics to a whole new level to basically suggest that Taylor Swift isn't allowed to express gratitude for having a good year in 2017 because of all these terrible things that happened. I've never seen this happen to any other celebrity or pop star. Um, Have you ever seen anything like this before, Ginny? No, I haven't. And poor Taylor Swift. She just can't win. She had a rough 2015, 2016, (laughs) took some time off, disappeared, came back, and has had a stellar year. I mean, shouldn't we be celebrating success? She's a female. She's a strong female. She just she can't win. Um, I kind of compare this to when celebrities make a comparison between natural disasters and President Trump causing it. It it just makes no sense. It's a lot of these feel-good statements for these celebrities that have no factual basis. Why shouldn't we celebrate her success? Exactly. Taylor has been perhaps one of the most problematic women of the year this year. And part of that is because she chose not to wade into politics, unlike so many other celebrities who really uh, were 
out there advocating for Hillary Clinton. And then when she lost, they were out here beating down Trump for everything he did, expressing outrage and pretending that they knew what they were talking about when really most of the time they don't. And then Taylor Swift took the high road and decided not to engage in this divisiveness. And and, and now because of that, she can't even post a simple thank you note to her fans uh, expressing thanks for supporting her this year. And again, I, I agree with you. We should be happy for her because, uh, you know, in the past, it's always been the media uh, knocking her down for going on all these dates with men. And it seems like she's starting to figure out who she is and figure out her love life and get into more serious relationships. We're really seeing her grow and evolve from a young girl to a young woman. And I would think this is something that women would want to support, not not criticize her for. The same liberal media that is obsessed with her and her music and can't get enough of her in some ways takes every opportunity to knock her down whether or not she deserves it. Well, Taylor Swift will be laughing her way all the way to the bank because she really did have a stellar year. Well, while the media will tell you how bad this year was um, and they'll use, they'll, they'll make these stretches um, like using this example of Taylor Swift to point out all the terrible things that happened this year. And let's be real, some really bad things mm-hmm. did happen. But the media is totally ignoring some really good things that happened. Uh, we're going to call in our um, our White House press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who yesterday did a very good job actually breaking down some of these good things that happened. I thought this might be useful to play um, for for this New York Magazine writer who seems to think that 2017 was nothing but doom and gloom. Nearly 1.7 million new jobs have been created, and the unemployment rate has fallen to 4.1 percent, the lowest rate in 17 years. The stock market reached a record high more than 60 times and closed above 24,000 for the first time in history. We've rolled back 22 regulations for every one new regulation, saving taxpayers over $8 billion and liberating America's economy from the grip of bloated government. We've withdrawn from or began renegotiating the trade deals that once threatened to destroy American industry and shipped our jobs around the world. We finally set up our nation on a path to not only energy independence, but energy dominance. We approved the Keystone XL and Dakota Access pipelines, directed the EPA to end the job-killing war on coal, and upon the tax bill's passage, we'll have opened up ANWR to responsible energy exploration. The President has protected America's communities. We've seen the lowest level of illegal border crossings on record. We ended the Obama administration's dangerous catch-and-release policies, restoring law and order both on the border and in the interior. And we've designed and built eight wall prototypes for the border wall. We've taken unprecedented steps to tackle America's opioids epidemic by directing the declaration of a nationwide public health emergency, and we promoted peace through strength. Under the president's leadership, ISIS has lost nearly all of its territory and its most important strongholds in Iraq and Syria. We've restored old alliances, forged new ones, begun rebuilding our military, and made it clear to the world that there is no greater ally, no more fearsome adversary than the United States of America. We've reshaped the American judiciary for generations. Justice Gorsuch was confirmed to the Supreme Court, and 22 judges have been confirmed, including a record-setting 12 circuit judges. 
We protected life by reinstating and expanding the Mexico City policy that protects $9 billion in U.S. taxpayer dollars from being used to fund abortion. And this evening, hopefully upon passage of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the President will have delivered the most significant tax cut in the history of the nation and repealed the Obamacare individual mandate. So I actually had to cut Sarah Huckabee Sanders' clip short because she just goes on and on with all these accomplishments on behalf of the Trump administration. And I'll just say that I know issues like abortion and immigration reform are politically controversial and not everybody views those as wins. But on issues like defeating ISIS and the boom in the economy, these are issues that all Americans should be able to celebrate. And so I think the writer of this piece who's hating on Taylor Swift needs to perhaps see the glass as half full rather than half empty and express some gratitude herself for the good things that have happened this year. I completely agree. The administration has done a lot of things that don't just follow through on President Trump's promises he made when he was running. But like you said, they do positively impact all Americans, doesn't matter which party. Well, Kelsey, on the topic of uninformed hysteria, (laughs) Rosie O'Donnell, one of President Trump's favorites, seems to have committed a felony today uh, on Twitter. She was tweeting to senators that she will get this, bribe them with money to, quote, save our political system from all the corruption. Uh, One specific tweet said, so how about this? I promise to give $2 million to Senator Susan Collins and $2 million to Senator Jeff Flake. If they vote no, no, I will not kill Americans for the super, which was spelled wrong. (laughs) Rich, DM me Susan, DM me Jeff. It goes on to say again that she will give them $2 million in cash. Now, many people right away have pointed out, including uh, the National review that the giving, offering, or promising something of value, so $2 million cash definitely applies, to any public <laughs> official, say these two senators, um, in exchange for any official act performed or to be performed, has in fact committed a crime. And it's a crime punishable by up to 15 years in prison and also a fine of up to $12 million. This is absolutely ridiculous. I think, number one, it says how uninformed and misinformed she is on this topic tax reform in general, but also what's legal and what's not. Kelsey, how how do you view this? Well, first off, I, I think that Rosie may have been intoxicated when she tweeted this because there was a spe- spelling error that she did not correct. And you have to think, like, what is going through your head to tweet this? And I mean, $2 million, that is a lot of money. And she doubled down by actually telling them to DM me. So if you don't use Twitter, that means direct message me. As if she really thinks these these senators are going to say, oh, yeah, I, I will... I will, um, you know, compromise all my values and put myself in jail just to get $2 million from Rosie O'Donnell. I also think that um, it's incredibly hypocritical that Rosie was saying we need to do this to save the country um, from from these tax breaks that are only going to help the rich. Well, she is she is the rich and she's trying to use her wealth, her richness to get rid of them. So there's a lot of hypocrisy going on there. Yes, she is living in La La Land. <laughs> well, also her her outrage over the 
tax reform, which, um, you know, looks like it's going to be signed by President Trump any minute. Uh, it was only that her outrage was only to be matched by protesters who yesterday were shouting in the gallery, kill the bill, don't kill us. Um, someone apparently took her top off in the House gallery and other people looked like they were playing dead on the House floor. A lot of this outrage was directed at the individual Obamacare mandate, which is being repealed under this tax reform plan. A lot of people are claiming that by repealing the individual, um, uh, the, the, the Obamacare mandate that requires people to buy health insurance, people are literally going to die. Well, first off, if, if you don't want to die, then just buy health insurance. You still have the right and the option to buy health insurance in America. The only thing this does is not fine people a tax if they don't buy health insurance. So I think that outrage and hysteria is just over the top, and it's actually ill-informed, and it's purposely misleading the American public, as is what Rosie O'Donnell is doing as well. So moving on to our next That Happened segment, Hillary Clinton is still explaining away her presidential loss. Recently, she went on Ellen DeGeneres to explain, quote unquote, what happened, which is also the title of her new book. We're going to play you a short clip of a summary of what she had to say. I mean, it was a perfect storm. I mean, there were a lot of currents of resentment and anger about all kinds of things uh, in the you know, in the country, there was a lot of sexism and misogyny, which now, thankfully, we're kind of pulling out of the dark and talking about. There was voter suppression, people trying to prevent other Americans from being able to vote. There was the FBI's intervention uh, on October 28th after I saw you, which had a devastating effect because, you know, people thought, oh, my gosh, I can't vote for somebody who's, you know, once again under FBI investigation, even though there was, again, nothing to it. And then there were the Russians, the Russians, and the Russians were much more involved than even I understood. The Russians. She never stops with the Russians. Thus far, there really has been no evidence of President Trump colluding with the Russians to steal this election. The actual investigation of collusion has had more controversy than they've been able to find for what they're supposed to be investigating. <laughs> I am so tired of hearing about Russia. I'm tired of hearing about Hillary Clinton. It is kind of odd to me that she keeps popping up trying to stay relevant. Is this embarrassment? Is this des desperation? I don't know. She lost over a year later. We are still talking. We are still making excuses why can't this be dropped? Why can't she bow out gracefully? She did not win. It's time to move on. The Democrats even don't want to associate with her. They're tired of hearing from her. They think she's a liability. It's really time to say goodbye. Every week when we put together the content we're going to cover for problematic women, we always say, we're tired of covering Hillary Clinton. She needs to go away. But every week she works her way back into our outline because she just comes out and doubles and triples and quadruples down on explaining away her, her loss instead of actually holding herself accountable and taking a lot of the blame, which I think a lot of the blame lies within her and her own inability to be authentic during the campaign. But because we have talked about Hillary Clinton and why she lost so much already on the show, I also want to play uh, 
a clip of the end of Ellen's interview with Hillary Clinton, which I found really interesting. Ellen basically issued a disclaimer at the end of her interview saying that although she supported Hillary Clinton during the election, she doesn't hate all Republicans. Listen here. I have to say, I mean, I I don't want to, because I don't believe in uh, that you can group a whole bunch of people together. There are some Republicans that are really good, good people and have good intentions. So it is the the party, the Republican Party, this is not what it was. This is not what it should be. And so I do not want to bash Republicans. I don't want to bash anybody. We just want, uh, you know, I think that's important for me to say, because I obviously wanted you to be president and and, uh, believed in you and, and have strong opinions, but I also want to say that, you know, I don't judge everybody by this president. So, Ginny, when I heard that, I didn't know whether I should be thanking Ellen for finally not putting all Republicans into a single box, accusing us of maybe supporting every single little thing President Trump does and says, and actually blaming us for every little thing President Trump does or say, or if I should kind of laugh at her or be angry um, at this comment that she has such an inability to see Republicans as individuals and respect them. And it's gotten so bad to the point in her show where finally she takes a step back and says, Maybe I was being a little bit unfair throughout the year. She probably knows some Republicans, maybe a Republican in her life, who doesn't support every single thing President Trump has done and said. Um, But I thought it was interesting that we're at the point in our society where we have to have these disclaimers because of how far the press went this year in bashing all Republicans as a single entity. You know, when I first heard it, my initial reaction was, well, that's common sense. Of course, you can't group a whole group of people together. <laughs> that who would, who would think that? But apparently in liberal Hollywood, they do. And then my next reaction was, how sad is it that she has to even point this out? That's super concerning. Also, once again, over a year later after the election, we're just now having this conversation. I think it really tells how bad it is for our public discourse and how Hollywood sees conservatives and Republicans. Her comment really speaks to one of the themes of our show here on Problematic Women, which really is the left's inability to look at women as the independent thinkers that they are. Um, They do try to put us in these boxes that are convenient for them and make their narratives easier to promote through the media, when in reality, Republicans and Republican women are very complicated creatures. Um, Women think for themselves, particularly every conservative woman I know um, is very strong minded and educated and really thinks through her positions on different subjects. And I don't mean to put people in boxes, but I have to say, I sometimes find women looking at issues more individually than I do men. Um, So I agree with you that it's sad that we're at this point where she needs to say this disclaimer, but I wanted to play it for our listeners so so that they know um, this is where we are. And I don't know, maybe more celebrities should be saying this. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see what happens. But on the topic of strong women and women thinking for themselves, this is a very recent story. Uh, Kat Sadler, 
She was a co-host on E! News for about 12 years on a couple very popular shows with Jason Kennedy, who's also a very popular personality. She reportedly, according to a very long statement she put out on her Twitter, found out from some executives at E! News that Jason Kennedy was making nearly double or around that number of her salary and had been for a number of years. So naturally, it's important to note we don't know all the details on this. A lot goes into salaries. But from a very surface level view, she and her team felt like it was appropriate to ask for more. She was repeatedly denied. Um, And so she made the choice, a very difficult choice, she says, to leave the network, to leave a job that she loved that made her famous. Um, Her statement is very long, but I thought a part that was really interesting that all women um, can appreciate is she says, know your worth. I have two decades experience in broadcasting and started at the network the very same year as my close friend and colleague that I adore. I so lovingly refer to him as my TV husband, and I mean it. But how can I operate with integrity and stay on at E if they're not willing to pay me the same as him or at least come close? I thought she made a great point. And as I said, we don't have all the details. There's a lot of unknown on this. But from what she said and the decision she made, I think you have to respect and applaud that she chose to take herself out of the situation and pursue something else. If this is true, what's happening, of course, we don't we don't know the details of her situation, the actual um, paychecks involved. But if she really is getting paid less by E! News, how ironic. E! News is very liberal. They're located in Hollywood, which espouses liberal values and stands on their moral high ground, talking down to the rest of Americans, talking down to Republicans and any conservative, um, lecturing us about the gender pay gap. And then, shocker, we find out that within these liberal institutions, within Hollywood, they're yet again... um, not they're they're not walking their own walk and talking their own talk. They're they're claiming that they're on this moral high ground, but apparently not paying women equal salaries. But Ginny, I think this does raise an interesting question about the gender pay gap because this the gender pay gap is something that conservatives and conservative women sometimes have a problem with because it seems to be exaggerated so often by the left to make Mm -hmm. it seem that women are not capable of earning equal salaries to men and that we're victims. And I don't think that people like you and I buy into the fact that we're victims, but I think you and I also believe that if, if we have any reason to believe we're not being paid enough, we can and should stand up for it. Absolutely. You've nailed it. I think many conservative women do see a problem with the idea of a gender pay gap because, like you said, it is greatly exaggerated and it's formed to fit this narrative that the left uses as a weapon, especially against conservatives. But on the flip side, we're strong, independent women. And if something clearly isn't right, we owe it to ourselves to try to make it right or take ourselves out of the situation. That's exactly what she did. And on that note, um, Christina Hoff Summers, she's a scholar um, at AEI. She made made a great PragerU video clip, and it sort of goes into these myths of the gender pay gap. Consider the issue of the so-called gender wage gap. How many times have you heard that for the same work, women receive 77 cents for every dollar a man earns? This charge is constantly repeated by feminist activists and their supporters. Yet it is so deeply misleading as to border on outright falsehood. 23 cent gender pay gap is simply the difference between the average earnings of all men and women working full time. It does not take account 
for differences in occupations, positions, education, job tenure, or hours worked per week. So that was Christina Hoff Summers. You can watch the whole video on PragerU. Just Google Christina Hoff Summers and PragerU. Again, I think that this specific instance, whether or not Kat is being paid less, I mean, I'll take her word for it that she is being paid less, but it's hard to comment on the details of it. But I think, A, it's hypocritical of E! News not to be paying her the same amount as her male colleagues, if that's the case. Um, but B, I just don't think we can exaggerate the gender wage gap. And I've already seen liberal websites using her story to do so, because what they do with the gender pay gap is really pander towards women and try to get more women to believe they're victims um, so that they vote with them and act like them and think with them when in reality um, as as is a lot of things the the economics of the gender pay gap is a lot more complicated so moving on to our next segment this is a fun segment called real or fake news i'm going to read some different headlines and Ginny is going to guess whether or not they are real or fake the point of this is to show you just how outrageous some of some of the headlines that are happening in our country today are Um, this is a special christmas edition okay let's do it so if you guess them right i'm going to ring this bell okay that'll be your reward Awesome. First headline, Santa Christmas trees are not appropriate for holidays, students told at a university event. True. Real news. That is true. This is an article on Fox News. Uh, Santa Claus Christmas trees and the colors red and green are examples of inappropriate religious iconography during the holiday season, according to a paper distributed at an event at the University of Minnesota. Trump bringing back the nativity scene is disrespectful. Fake news. That's real. (laughs) That is unbelievable. So I didn't even realize this, but during the Obama administration, the use of a nativity scene depicting the birth of Jesus was banned from the White House grounds. Were you aware of that? I was not aware of that. I think that's very strange. So our current president believes that bringing back the tradition of um, the nativity scenes is is a good idea. I actually um, had the honor of going on a White House Christmas tour earlier this week. I will say Melania Trump did an amazing job, and I did see a nativity scene there. I just didn't realize that this was a change from the previous administration, but it is back. All right, third headline. Uh, this Christmas children's book is about a gay Black Santa Claus. Real news? <laughs> How'd you know this was real? It's sad. It's the times we're living in. <laughs> this is real news. You can read all about it over at Vice, where there is an author of a new book who created a gay black Santa Claus to create a more inclusive portrait of Christmas. I think we all expected that. What's it going to be next year? Transgender Santa Claus? Maybe. Never say never. <laughs> All right, next headline. Jingle Bells is rooted in racism, a Boston University professor says. Real news. Did you see this headline? No, I actually talked about it on our top 10 show last week. This, this, I've seen it on Fox News. This is spreading like wildfire, but it's, it seems like right now a lot of liberals are basically going back towards all these iconic Christmas songs and finding a reason to label them problematic. Yes, it's sort of similar to the baby it's cold outside controversy. They're just trying to destroy all of these classic Christmas songs with these exaggerated reasons. So sad. 
Next headline. White Christmas is a dog whistle for white racists. Fake news. Oh, darn it. (laughs) You're right, though. Thought I'd get you with that one. (laughs) Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is your latest problematic fave. Real news. You are correct. Uh, That is a real article on Slate, and I just loved that they used our word problematic in their headline about Rudolph being problematic. That is absolutely ridiculous. Rudolph is a classic. I was Rudolph for Halloween several years. What's wrong with Rudolph? Why do we have to attack him? (laughs) Well, now you're a problematic woman and a problematic reindeer, so there you go. Killing two birds with one stone. All right, last real or fake headline. Christmas carols are not too sacred for a racism examination. Fake news. Uh, That is real from the Pittsburgh Courier. Wow. Yes. So um, it seems like all of Christmas is very problematic. This is a theme we've been seeing happen time and time again. So it's not surprising. But every year, you know, they have to find one more like extreme way to claim Christmas is is problematic. And it just gets worse and worse and harder and harder to believe. He's President Trump is definitely bringing back Christmas. He ran on that. He's doing it. But this is clear that Christmas is very much still under attack. President Trump is triggering a lot of anti-Christmas people this year, anti-Christmas Grinches. All right. Well, moving on to our last and favorite segment of the show. Now we are going to crown our problematic woman of the week. This week, it goes to the Harvard sorority sisters who are vowing to defy the school's sorority recruitment ban. So this was a story highlighted over from our friends at Campus Reform. And there's a group of sorority girls who apparently were not allowed to recruit to have their sororities anymore. And they're they're saying, we're not down with that and we're going to defy it. They released a statement on Tuesday morning saying, we believe women should make their own choices Um, We believe in a woman's right to create a supportive, aspirational community. We believe women should make their own choices. And they said that they intend to conduct recruitment and open it to freshman women next year, despite the risks in doing so. So their, their statement came in response to the school policy that imposes punishments on students who want to join unrecognized single-gender social institutions, which clearly includes Greek life. I'm sure all our listeners know what Greek life is. You have female sororities, male fraternities. I personally was in a sorority. I was in Delta Gamma, which is actually one of the sororities that's vowing to defy this. So I support my DG sisters in this. Um, but... They're actually what they're doing is pretty brave because they um, they could face some very serious punishments. According to Harvard's policy, um, if they defy this policy, they will not be permitted to hold leadership positions in recognized student organizations or on athletic teams. And they will not be eligible for letters of recommendation from the dean of Harvard uh of, of Harvard for scholarship opportunities, including the Rhodes and the Marshall scholarships, which are very important scholarships, but particularly for very smart people at yes, Harvard. Yes. 
I think this shows the further decline of universities. I was a Pi Phi at the University of Texas at Austin. It wasn't a massive part of my life, but it was important those four years. I wouldn't have gotten to D.C. without that sorority. Um, I found out about a school program through someone in the sorority that had done it. Now I live here. I'm working at the Heritage Foundation, living out my dream. Sororities are a lot more than the stereotypes that the left and a lot of people discuss and play up on. Um, I think this will hurt the university more than they think it will help. It's certainly going to hurt their endowment because I know my alma mater, Lafayette College, has tried to kick a bunch of fraternities off of campus. They already have. I know some sororities are coming up next, but a lot of people continue giving to their schools because Greek life was such an important part of their life. I mean, I know... um, the the women I'm still friends with in my life from college were all my sorority sisters. And that doesn't mean I'm not friends with people who weren't in my sorority, but you just create such an important bond. And it is, quote unquote, I hate to use this word, but a safe space for women to just know that you have a house, you have sisters, you have people who have your back. And college is a tough time. You're navigating a lot of different social social and cultural relationships. And it's nice to just have a group of women who you know have your backs. And it's not just those four years. I mean, this is a network that will last a lifetime, as you've probably seen being in D.C. So it will be interesting to see how alumni reacts. That could be pretty severe for Harvard. Um, There are a lot of quotes that sorority girls on Harvard's campus have given. Uh, One of the girls said, we do understand there are risks inherent in this action, but we provide powerful spaces of support and are determined to work together to demonstrate the value of sorority membership. Uh, They're being brave. And I think they're also alluding to what you just pointed out. These are safe groups for women to come together to grow and learn during a very critical time in their life. And the part of the reason Harvard has this policy, so there's a piece of it that um, came as a result of a task force on the prevention prevention of sexual assault. So I guess after this this research they undertook, they found that um, Greek lives were not helpful in in, in um, preventing sexual assault. But I don't think the answer to that is just getting rid of it. If that's how we're going to solve all our problems in society, well, then we're not going to solve them. We're still going to have sexual assault mm-hmm. issues with or without Greek life. Um, And Harvard also claims that this is part of their anti-discrimination policy, and you can guess what this refers to. Um, Heaven forbid a biological male who identifies as female wants to join a sorority. Well, then um, that creates some complications. So Harvard says, eh, we're just not going to allow fraternities and sororities. Um, But I I just, again, I don't think that solves it. And there's one other statement I wanted to read uh, from these girls who, very problematic girls who are standing up for their right um, to recruit young members. Um, Freshmen, I may add. Freshmen, being a freshman, female and college campus is very nerve-wracking and to have a group of older women come say hey come with us we'll be friends with you um it it really makes a huge difference at that time in your life so um this is another quote while harvard sanctions claim to support women's rights to make their own decisions these sanctions will actually force women to choose between the opportunity to have supportive empowering women-only spaces and external leadership opportunities I think she's right. She does a fantastic statement, and and it's true. Harvard is hurting women by not allowing them to do it all. I agree. Well, 
props to all the problematic women over at Harvard. We applaud you and hope you continue being problematic and proud. That wraps up our show for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman, please don't be shy and letting us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. And you can follow my work at Jenny Maltavano. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist, and today it was produced by Michael Gooden and Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. You can tweet segment ideas to Lauren on Twitter at Lauren Eliz Evans. All of the Heritage Foundation's podcasts are now featured on the Ricochet Audio Network podcast, so you can check out this one there and more. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 